0: Okay, so we'll begin today in uh, Chapter 6 once again. It's our second day on it. And uh, we're going to be taking a look this time at your papers. You had a lot of very interesting um, uh, uh, questions, and we're going to be taking those. So let's start out with uh, Dan, Dan's not even here, and here I'm reading his paper, Um, who said, I must say, after reading this chapter, the task of biblical interpretation has become much more daunting. You brought to light the fact that biblical interpretation is a very human endeavor, though we deal with a sacred text. We determine what matrices we develop, and depending on how we piece them together, we end up with an implication that may be different than if we had pieced the matrices another way. This forces me to realize the importance and weight of the task we are faced with if we want to be true to the scriptures and our Lord. Well, this is an important point. And it's very uh I mean it's it's one of the big things I always want to get across to people is that yes, it is actually this complicated. And uh one of the reasons that it doesn't seem this complicated is that people tend to say, "Of course," and those who listen tend to take that at face value, which it's not. So, I'm wanting you to be looking and analyzing rigorously what you're doing. Okay, now here. This was uh, Dallas. It seems that sometimes learning Greek and Hebrew can be seen by students as a royal pain and in some ways academic hoops to jump through. In the same way, algebra, which can serve as a building block for some of the higher levels of math, can be seen by students as a teacher's tool of torture. Nice alliteration there, I thought. Assuming that correct one, uh, level one interpretation is fundamental to understanding the other two, would or does stressing the importance of learning the basics of Greek and Hebrew grammar for laying a proper foundation for level one and the subsequent levels help el- elevate the value of the biblical languages in the minds of the students? And the answer is yes. Now, We actually got on to a little bit of this in Greek class the last time I taught it. Um, It's maybe easiest to illustrate level three where you say, look, this guy's using Hebraized Greek, so probably, you know, something like this. But you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. All right, um, Dave Fickett. It was at this point in the text that I had a hard time understanding the section where you discuss how one arrives at the significances revealed in the second meaning, and by that I I take you to be meaning the second level. Um, Could we explain how we discover the significance of second level meaning? Well, now we've talked about this. I would say essentially it is, that you have a theological context you know about life and you look for level 1 statements that would speak specifically to the way you would understand deeds or activities or something like that such as the resurrection of the young man at Nain and the people say a great prophet has arisen among us that's Looking at a level one set of statements to explain a level two significance, i.e. the resurrection of the young man. But this kind of general theology idea uh, would be, even if the people hadn't said it, the fact that somebody can overcome death for a clearly dead person, he's being buried, this isn't like Jairus's daughter. You know, you could conclude, this is from knowing the Bible and knowing life, that there's something really special about this guy. And maybe maybe, that the creator himself had returned to bring people back from death. See, but I mean there, you're just knowing theology about the scriptures and God is the God of life and death, and that people don't raise people from the dead normally and and things like that. So you're having to do that. That was my point, Dave of the difficulty of no deed grammar. See, if you had a deed grammar, something where you had, um, I'm just grabbing your book here, like this, men, dead, Resurrected. Ah, God in action. You know, I mean, if you had some kind of a deed grammar like that, this would all be simpler. But you're actually extrapolating, you're drawing conclusions from that. Right. And, you know, again, I hate to keep going back to this example, it just happens to be a really good one. The wedding at Cana and creating. the wine out of the water. Now, I mean, if you think about that, see, a person could just say, well, he did a miracle. Okay, would it have been the same as if, if he had made more matzos, Or the entertainment didn't show up, so he was able, with a piece of paper in his hands, to actually do a 20-piece symphony orchestra or something like that? I mean, you know, kind of do, or levitate in front of the crowd to entertain him? Would all of that been been the same, i.e., doing something miraculous? Or is there something theologically significant, i.e., I'm reading it on level two, that he made wine? How about that he made really a lot of wine? How about that he made a lot of wine out of water? Or how about that he made a lot of wine out of water and it was in purification jars? See, which of these things do you matrix together? Now, the, the interesting thing about this is the reaction I had when I did this when I was teaching at the seminary in Fort Wayne. And I was talking about um, the... Um, uh, something like this, that this great volume of wine, so it wasn't just a couple of bottles, but, you know, uh, uh, gallons and gallons of wine, would be like Amos 9, where in the Messianic age, the hills would run with sweet wine. Something like this. So I'm reading on level 2 now. I am, I am uh, coordinating this thing with a descriptor of something else. So I'm saying description description of uh, deed deed they correspond, that's what I'm doing. Okay? <clears throat> but I, I'll never forget this. Where one student said, "Oh, you know, I've never thought of it like that before at all." And he said, "Here's the way I thought about it. That Jesus made water into wine, or let me put it another way, wine out of water." And he said, "Well, This is really a lot like God making Adam out of the dust of the ground, where you have something really simple and basic, dust, dirt. Now you make something complex, a human being. All right? Now, that's one shoe. Let's let the other shoe drop now. This is what he did on level 2. He said, "This means that the creator once more stands in the midst of his creation producing wonderful complexity out of simplicity." How good is that? Huh? Is it right? We don't have the deed grammar. Okay. But I don't know that you would be wrong to draw that conclusion now you're gonna to have to add in there at this point whether that would be a theme that would be Johanning or not so you might wanna ask yourself does John make that kind of emphasis same with the water into wine see now you're gonna to have to do a little literary work on the literary context but I like to talk through this example to show you that there is kind of another possibility. It's like that business we talked about last time of the veil of the temple splitting. And you go, oh, now we have direct access. Yeah, well, how about the other way? God's leaving, see? So you, you, can, you can do these things on, um, uh, on various, uh, uh, with a various matrices. Um, anyway, uh, Dave, does that help? Yeah. Good, good. Now, in your current state, Josh, I hate to call on you, but um, <clears throat> uh, Josh had a, a strangely insightful um, reaction paper here. And um, <clears throat> he was talking about, he says, when using a narrative, the second level, level must be interpreted from the text also. Example, I drove my, bu- my, my bike to Des Moines, in August. Now, um, this is what he says. The first level gives this grouping of signifiers meaning. However, to understand context on the second level, the interpreter should try to put themselves in the context of the narrative. Not a bad idea. Thus, interpretation on the second level can assume that I will be driving on highways, and knowing that this event occurred in August shows the interpreter it was probably humid and hot during the trip. Semiotics, nonverbals, add a lot of context to the communication transfer. Now, <coughs> um, <coughs> the problem I had with this, uh, uh, JB, was I had to think through this paper quite a bit. I think there's a difference, and we're going to talk about this in Chapter 8. There's a difference between filling in blanks in the story and coming up with level two significance. See, in other words, let's go back to our example of Jesus and the water into wine. Now, the idea that you conclude that you drove on a highway or that it's humid in August, that would be like saying, <clears throat> um, Jesus made water into wine. Okay, you're assuming that there were wells in proximity <clears throat> and that there were servants who did this stuff. See, you're just kind of filling in blanks of the story. You're not actually drawing theological conclusions from them, such as when he did this, <clears throat> it was an instantiation of the Messianic Age or something like this. So I decided, JB. That I just so we don't get this mixed up with level three, I said, let's let's change your example rather than saying I, let's say you're talking about somebody else, he okay, <clears throat> he drove his bike to Des Moines for three weeks in October. Let me just use that example, he drove his bike to Des Moines for three weeks in October. Now, if you were interpreting that on level two. <clears throat> Then you would be drawing conclusions that were um, not just filling in facts of general knowledge, like, you know, he went on a highway. But it would be something like this The guy was somewhat daring as a person. Why? because he took a cross-country trip on the, I mean, I was taking it to mean from St. Louis, that he was taking a cross-country trip on a motorcycle and not just driving around town. Or, if the guy is 60 years old, you could conclude the guy is having a uh, midlife crisis because he's now got a motorcycle and is going around with that, rather than what most people would do, drive a car. Now, let's say it's JB, and he makes that statement. I drove my motorcycle from St. Louis to Des Moines for three weeks in in October. This, I think, would be a kind of a level two, If if, if I say JB drove his bike. This would be a level two conclusion, that JB is... um, Having problems vocationally, because October is a time when classes are in session. there are no vacations at that time. What are you doing in Des Moines for three weeks in the middle of the quarter? So I, I could I think properly conclude that for for this guy, he is having vocational difficulty, or maybe even he got dismissed from the school, something like that. See, I'm not just filling in now general facts you would know about the context, like, for example, that um, leaves change in October, and there are highways that go between here and there, and stuff like that. Um, Now, we're going to talk about this, J.B., we're going to talk about this in greater detail in Chapter Eight, but let me just anticipate this by using an example of what I mean by filling, kind of filling in signifiers on on the second level. Is if you say if you say this, um, something like. Um, I went with my, uh, Ozzie would say, I went with my girl, girlfriend to the restaurant. We went to an Italian restaurant, had a really nice meal. <clears throat> After the dishes were cleared away, um, we then r- shared a really nice dessert. All right, now, this is not level two, what I'm going to say next. It is simply filling in the blanks of signifiers. You didn't clear the dishes away, there were waiters. See, you were at the you were at the restaurant. Okay. Now you could have the same thing. My girlfriend and I had a really nice dinner at her apartment and so on. After the dishes were cleared away, we shared a really nice dessert. Now you could conclude you and she cleared the dishes away. There aren't waiters in the apartment. But see, that you're just filling in blanks in the story. You're not doing significance. Here's significance here's significance she thinks something's good really happening between you and her and she's inviting you over you know you're having the meal in her apartment so see now i'm talking about extrapolating from the incident which is ju- which is different than just filling in facts of stuff that was happening that people didn't happen to mention when they told the story. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Yeah, JB.
1: Okay, so you're saying that these contextually letting the other shoe drop is still on level one?
0: No, no. Uh, Wait, which are you talking about? When you're, when you're pulling
1: these theological things like you're talking about me going in October, I didn't say that I was failing school. Yeah, yeah, an yeah, that's level two. watching this. That's <laughs> level two. Yes, yes, yeah, that's yeah. level two. So, but, I mean, you're, making, you're filling in these, these blanks or...
0: No, that's not filling in the blanks. You're drawing conclusions. You're not just, you're not just filling in general factoids that people know about, uh, you know, stuff, you know, like you went in October... It is not a theological, conc- it's not a level two conclusion that leaves were changing colors. That's just some other fact you know about the circumstances. Sure,
1: but it's not a theological fact either that but it doesn't have to is going
0: on. Right, no, it doesn't happen to be, it doesn't, doesn't need to be theological. On level two, you can be drawing other kinds of conclusions that are just sociocultural too. Like that the girl is interested
1: I was just saying, like, some of those things that you fill in, like, it was high, and humid you're driving the highway, you can put together that, you know, it was probably a strenuous driving. You can go with a more deeper thought after you get some of those contextual things, like you took from, I have class going on, I'm not in class, maybe I'm not doing well at class.
0: Yeah, maybe you're not doing well at class. Yeah. You had to know that I
1: was in class, which is (laughs) kind of a random thing, schools and sessions, You have to fill in those, I mean, you have to have those things, which you could find contextually on the second level is what I'm guessing, to make your assessment.
0: Yeah, well, the things about, um, uh, what would you say here? Classes going on, that's just a factoid you can fill in from knowing the society. But concluding something like, um, you're having vocational difficulties. Let, let's say something like that. That's a level two conclusion.
1: With my example, like I understand I didn't make a conclusion. I'm just asking <laughs> we're, when we're writing uh, exegetical papers and stuff, and we're talking about level one, two, and
0: three, Yeah, yeah.
1: those factoids yeah. for analysis, should we be writing those in one or two?
0: You're <laughs> filling in signifiers in level two. See, what you're doing is you're just telling more of the facts about the story. That's all you're doing. Now, by the way, let me just say, I'm really anticipating here what we're going to get in 8 and 9. But let me just say, this is an important distinction because I think a lot of pastors think that. You're doing theology when you're filling in the blanks in the story. This happens all the time in Lenten sermons. So, Peter is around the charcoal fire. And the girl asks, and Peter denies. Then Peter was thinking back to the time in which he was called by Jesus while fishing. And those other times when they were on the. You know, what you're doing, you're just kind of filling in um, blanks in the story. That is, that is a completely different thing than making the following conclusion. With the story of Peter denying Jesus God uses fallible human beings to carry forth his work and his message such as Peter who would deny him or you could even say this God is willing also to forgive those who deny him when they repent See? now I, at that point I'm drawing conclusions from the events in the story. I'm not just filling in blanks like the servant girls gathered around. And I mean, that, that's, they, you're just filling in more facts of the story. That's all you're doing with that. And I think a lot of pastors make that mistake. They think they're kind of drawing theological conclusions when all they're doing is sort of speculating on additional facts of the story. That's not the same thing.
2: Can you take those, like, additional facts, though, and kind yeah. of matrix them to form a conclusion?
0: Yeah, but on what basis are you doing that?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, like, because what we were saying about, kind of going back to the J.B. thing now, what we were just talking about, like you said, oh, well, school's in session in October, and he wasn't there in October. Yeah. So you took two random facts about the story and then turned them into the conclusion of he might not be doing well.
0: Yes, yeah. so, okay. You
2: know, so, like, is that possible? That's all
0: yeah, yeah. Right now, now he, this gets back to um, I forget which of you asked this, but let's just take J.B. or somebody was dr- driving his motorcycle to Des Moines for three weeks in October. I draw the conclusion he's this guy is having vocational difficulties. This could be completely wrong. It could be your dad died tragically, you're from Des Moines, and you're there to help your mother. See? It could be something like that. And now the conclusion is he is actually a very concerned son who puts his family before the schoolwork. See? So so my that's the problem. When you don't have the deed grammar, you you got yourself you're always You know, yeah, you're always kind of guessing, and that's why I put up the cooling tower thing. On level one, you have dictionaries, grammars, concordances, all that stuff. On level two, you have other events in the Bible, like God creating things out of nothing, God creating complex things out of simple things, God saying that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, and you got all that kind of stuff for the water into wine incident I'm talking about. Then, in some of the incidents, hopefully, you have some level one things there, such as a great prophet has arisen among us. Okay. But when you don't, all of a sudden, this gets iffier. Okay? Now, you get to level three. Now, you're concluding something about the speaker, not about the guy in the story. That's why, J.B., I switched this from saying I drove my bike. We were going to get mixed up between level two and three. So I just, you know, did it to it. he, you know. But l- let's say you describe your brother. He drove his bike, or, or, or your, your, uh, your brother, your brother's telling about you. He says, J.B. drove his bike from St. Louis to Des Moines for three weeks in October. If I'm reading on level three, I am now thinking, why is he telling me that? You know, is he trying to uh, um, get JB in trouble? Yeah, he's got a bad. Um, what would you say? He's got a bad relationship with his brother, and he wants to get uh, get him in trouble. Or, Ozzie, we flip the thing around. How about the other way? He's actually concerned and would like to convey to me how concerned he is about his parents and his family. Yeah. But level three, level three is so difficult that way because you kind of don't know. Now that we're on level three, let's have our level three report, Joe. All right, All right now what happened? Tell, give us the scenario. Oh, this is gonna be great. Um,
2: <laughs> I don't know if we got the reaction like we were probably looking for. I think she was still interpreting on level three though. All right. So.
0: Tell, tell us what you did.
2: I, uh, I got back from the library and I just said, kind of casually, yeah. I just said, yeah, so I was at the library, and there's this new girl working there, and she had really nice clothes. Yeah. And she goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, go, and then she, I just kind of like, I just kind of waited for her. to. Yeah. goes, what do you mean? Ah, okay, what do you and, mean? And right. I go, I just noticed there was a new yeah, girl, yeah, there and yeah. she had nice clothes. Yeah, good. Oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, okay. Right. And
0: she just kind of was like, is this some kind of joke? Uh, that was pretty much it. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. So, did you tell her then what what the thing was? Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. That she didn't uh, kind of jump on that uh, the way it, last year. It had, uh, uh, uh But uh, in a way, it was level three because she was wondering why you were telling her. Yeah. See, she didn't say, "Oh, that's interesting," or or on level two, "Oh." library must be looking up in terms of their budget. They've got some new people that they're putting on. See, but no, no, she's wondering why, and she can't see why you would be telling her. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh-oh. Uh, Billy tried it? I'll do mine because I think his might be more exciting,
2: but I, I asked, I did kind of a different thing. Since yeah. I didn't go to the library, kind of, she wouldn't believe I went to
3: the library. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. wouldn't believe you went to the library. All right, that's yeah. alright.
2: I, I told her that I, I called one of her friends that, was a girl. Yeah, you know, and just kind of talked to her, and uh, oh boy. and and she yeah, <laughs> she was like okay, and then I waited a little while, and she was like, well, well why'd you call her? And yeah, so she started asking questions like, why would I be talking? To oh yeah. Uh huh. So uh-huh. Kind of the same
0: thing. Mhm. Mhm. huh. Did she believe you when you said you were doing an experiment? I didn't tell her yet. Oh. Oh my no. God. Oh
2: my gosh. Oh, late
3: is too late.
0: <laughs> all right, now, Bill, did you try
3: this? Yeah, I debated all day long whether I should do it or not, and when I got home and things are going well, so I figured. <laughs> <laughs> so she was getting ready to take a drink of her of her water, and I said, yeah, I went to the library today. They got a new lady working there, and she was, she was dressed really nice. And she stopped for a second, I saw the eyes roll back. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> she, uh... <laughs> took a drink of water, she thought I said she didn't say anything. And I said, so tell me, what are you thinking right now? Because I had to try to Co- make sense. way. And uh, she goes, first off, I was hurt. Now I'm angry. I <laughs> said, <says, laughs> that yeah. <laughs> made me do it. So <laughs> now, did you explain um, that? I explained to her, and she goes, and when I told her, you know, women go straight to level three. Yeah. They, they don't take time to think.
0: Yeah. No, no, no! That's not true. Oh my word! What the heck's happening here? Oh, oh my word! I we, I don't know here. This is incredible. All right, so uh, <laughs> proceed. Yeah, but
3: uh, I, I, she goes. Yeah, she could. She said, well, what would you do if I said that's you?" I said, "Well, you know." Give me a normal control to see what's on sports or something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, to me, it wouldn't be a big deal. But she said that she would. That she sees how she would automatically go to level three to try to figure out. Oh, right. So yeah. she acknowledged yeah. it. She acknowledged it. Well, once I explained to her what was yeah. happening, I was mm-hmm. backing away quickly. Uh, yeah. It worked out fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But see, now that's really interesting, though, that she acknowledged that that's the way she yeah. would read it. Yeah. Right, right. Now, what you have to, well, let me ask you something, Bill. Yeah. Uh, before we had this discussion, before you read Chapter 6 and we had this discussion, were you aware of what we're talking about? And I don't mean you get in trouble by doing it, but what was actually going on about reading yeah, like this? I've seen before
3: where she takes something... Hopefully she doesn't see this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have a natural tendency to take things out of order? Um, me, as a, as a male, try to, try to put things in order and not get things blown away. And
0: she'll, she'll jump right to the why's and the what's versus mm-hmm. the how's and when yeah. yeah, see what I'm trying to do, uh, there are a bunch of different ways in which this can be analyzed. Some people say women take things personally or they jump to, you know, why and so on. I think this analysis on levels of signifiers, though, is a little bit more clarifying as to how it is that the communication is processed, actually. So it's a signifier, it's still a signifier, but it's telling you about the speaker, not about what it is you're talking about. Billy.
2: I think an example of this, uh, we were going to the movies yesterday, my wife and I, and she asked me, uh, is it okay if I wear what I'm wearing? And I said, if that's what she want to wear, that's fine. And so she asked me, well, what do you mean by that? You know, and she's like,
0: "Yeah, do does that
2: mean I need to put something else on? Or like, instead of just taking it for no, if you want to wear that, it's fine. She thought... I meant something like, uh, well, if you really want to wear that, that's okay,
0: but you probably should yeah, go, you know, right, like right. just reading all into right, the, like, right, 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 right. Um, no, no, it's, um, that, that's interesting. So, Joe, you, you didn't get in trouble. He didn't get in trouble yet. You got in trouble. All right, that's great. Thank you all for, thank you for participating. All right. All right. Um, now, um, Buzz Bell, who is not here today, asked, he said, uh, uh, now this is kind of interesting. So easily you can take two stories seemingly unrelated and put them together to make some obscure agenda that you would like to push. And That's the matrixing thing, see? That's the matrixing thing, is... How do you know when you ought to be putting things together? Now, the audience, when Jesus raised the young man at Nain, saw somebody being raised, and they knew the story of a prophet raising a dead boy. Um, Would you be able to matrix this with Elisha floating the axe head because the axe head went up like a guy being resurrected? Now we'd say, oh, now that's pushing it. Well, here's the issue. This is like matrixing on level one. How many characteristics of the conceptual signified correspond? That's sort of your question. So if you got human beings and you got dead people and you gotta get them getting up, you think, hey, that's actually quite a lot of correspondences. But if you have axe heads and stuff, you're thinking, yeah, hey, you don't have enough, see? And again, this is because you don't have deed grammars, everybody's arguing for this himself. Now, Bell goes on to say, even in your book, you put no real constraints on what is too far and what assumptions are too much of a stretch for a matrix. Well, that is, that is a difficult issue. Now, um, I have a note here that uh, uh, Kyneth asks something of the same thing. I thought I had the paper pinned to it here, Um, Josh. um, Oh, darn it. Yeah, I don't have it right here. Uh, But what constraints are on this... um, To a certain extent, it's the analogy of faith, whether or not the thing turns out to be a kind of a heretical thing. Um, But it's going. This is why this is all an art and not a science. I mean, I'm just trying to be really honest with you guys. You know, there's there's not some silver bullet to this thing, like if. Three characteristics of the conceptual signified correspond, then it's okay, or something like that. It doesn't work like that. Just whether or not it looks like you're stretching it or pushing it or something like that. And the more, I I, I will say this the more characteristics of the conceptual signified that correspond, the better off you are. You know, the better off you are. So one of the problems with my thing about the uh, uh, great amount of wine in the seven stone jars, 60 gallons each, and I correspond that to the hills running with sweet wine, well, the run, wine wasn't running anywhere. Or in, in the prophet, the wine isn't, it doesn't say, jars and vessels will overflow or something. I mean, that would seem a little closer. So the fewer of, now wine's pretty close though, so that's pretty good. Uh, So the fewer characteristics that correspond, the more dubious it always seems. That's the problem with paralleling it to, to Genesis 1 and 2, where God, especially in 2, where God makes man out of the dust of the ground. Hey, it ain't wine. It's not even not wine. It's not liquid. So th- then you have that kind of an issue. Yes?
2: I have two questions that go back to the discussion of Josh on the motorcycle. Yes. First of all, you were talking about factoids, and he said those weren't level two. So if you're filling in things like he probably drove on a
0: rope. Oh simple fact, yeah. what level is that operating? That's level two filling in more signifiers. Okay, so yeah. it's still level two, but it's not taking level
2: two to as far as it can
0: go. Well, it's not, it's not drawing significance from level two. So it's, um, um, a parallel would be, I think, um, let's do a parallel to level one. Um, Okay, now, I saw his mother, Anna. Now, if I basically write this, and you know his family, and you say, oh, oh, you mean you saw his mother, Anna, you have not done some great interpretation. See, all you've done is you've Added clarifying signifiers. I'm, I'm speaking Vels here. You've just added another signifier to clear. That's all that happens when you start saying there were roads and the leaves were. I, you're just you're just adding more elements, and we say it's on level two because you're talking about the images. Yeah, you're just adding more level two signifiers. That's all it is. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're not um, you're not in interpreting on level two, you're just actually filling the text out a little bit. See, I wouldn't call, if you add in Anna, you're not interpreting on level one, you're just adding in more signifiers. Um,
2: Like, as far as significance, like... you mean, like? I was thinking that uh, uh, in our example with Matthew 2, 14 to 15. Yeah. So, like, Joseph uh, did as the angel told him. Yeah. Would it be significant to say... Joseph trusted the angel or trusted God is that interpreting, or is that still just kind of filling in
0: what happened uh, you know that's that's an interesting thing um, i i 'd be thinking a little bit you might only be f- filling that out you know I think it'd be um, uh, it'd be more interpreting on level two if you'd say something like uh, <clears throat> In the end, God does work with those who do His will or conform to His will, or something like that. In other words, He's not He He doesn't rescue Jesus and take him to Egypt and come back using um, you know Judas or some guy who's who is betraying him at that time or something. I mean, you know that's uh, now now what you could do is you could do something like this. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus dies. His death is for the sins of the world, and he's resurrected. Now, you could, drew, you could draw this theological conclusion. All things work together for good to those who love God. See? That God, um, uh, or as, as one of my sainted professors here used to say, this is a terrific statement, and it's about God, God's activity in the midst of great evil and suffering. And he used to say this, The devil may call the tune, but God always writes the bass line. Isn't that good? Yeah. See, and so you could kind of say that about Judas. Judas betrays him, and evil men do evil things, but God brings good out of it. See, that that's not just filling in, that's, that's extrapolating a truth, not just filling in more facts about the story. Yeah, level two, you're talking about truths like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, uh, kind of, there, your paper uh, popped up here. Uh, what is a matrix? In your summary, you had this. Items in context, items with similar features, characteristics, depicted by identical vocables, items which seem to have relatively independent importance. Now, you've got to understand, like just about everything else in this book, I'm making all this up. Okay? And by that, I mean no one has ever decreed that it's like this. Please know this, guys, and everybody listening to this broadcast. This book is. Descriptive. It is not prescriptive. I've read hundreds of commentaries, you know, all kinds of scholarly articles and everything like that. This is a description of what happens. People will matrix stuff because the same. How many times haven't you heard this? Ooh, this word is used over here. See, you know, and they matrix stuff because the same vocable is used. Or, you say something like, well, this follows right after that. What does that mean? I mean, you know, one of my favorite ones for this is um, at the beginning of the Synoptic Gospels, where you read, in um, at, at the beginning of Mark, after John had been handed over, Jesus went away into Galilee. Well, how interesting is that? The fact is, John was handed over to Herod Agrippa. Herod ruled where? Galilee. Now, what is the theological significance of that juxtaposition? That is to say, you've got Jesus going to Galilee, but he does so in the face of this hmm, capture of this prophetic figure by the ruler now is this Jesus is sticking a finger in his eye you know Jesus is essentially confronting the powers or Jesus is going oblivious to what's happening or you know I I mean you, you can probably draw some theological significance there s- such as Jesus is going to do his work and is determined to do his work in the face of opposition. Now, there's nothing in the text that tells you that. See? But you're drawing that conclusion from the juxtaposition of the deeds. You know what, Oz? I might be wrong. Now, of course, we are talking about Jesus here, but, I mean, let's pretend we weren't. You know, let's pretend it's John the Baptist. He might have been unaware of that. See? So, in which case, you're drawing a big conclusion, and it's not true. Yeah. For nothing. Right. But these things that I mentioned, Kyneth, which you so nicely summarized, the items in context, similar features, identical vocables, and then I added that in, items which seem to have a relatively independent importance. Now, what did I mean by that? Well, take biggie items like the transfiguration in the story. It's probably not a stretch to link the incarnation and the transfiguration or something like that. But why are you doing that? Why not Jesus resting in the wilderness? Well, because these are two really big events, you know and you figure there's gotta be some connection but I'm making this all up in a sense I mean nobody there there isn't any deed grammar that fell from the sky on this I just want you to know that and just as it is true that what Martin Franzman said that the theologian must never say of course that's true on level one Level two and level three, believe me. It just is. So I'm going to say this another way at this point. I haven't ever expressed it in precisely this way in this class, but I'm going to say it this way now. What the point of this exercise of this quarter is, is essentially to demystify the process. All right? We're ripping the packaging off. We're showing you how this actually works, and almost nobody recognizes this. They just think you can go around and extrapolate and do stuff and hey, here's a similar thing over here and you're doing it, you know? I want you to be thinking rigorously Every time you make an interpretive move, you guys say, why did I do that? Is that legitimate? Are there enough characteristics of the conceptual signified to make that move? Does that fit in the larger context? Does the flow of the story work if I do it that way? And so forth. You know, finally, it's all about major congruence. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Finally, does it fit? Does it take into account the most evidence that it can, all the while assuming when I say that, that it's also got to take into account the major things? Remember always the difference between us and the dispensational millennialists. They can actually explain more passages, but they have a lot more trouble with the really big ones like Jesus and his ministry and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you got it. there's a kind of a hierarchy of needs that way. By the way, the proof that what I'm saying is right is simply in this. This is why nobody can agree about anything. And this is also why, this is also why you keep having commentaries written. Why are there more commentaries? I am now the chairman of the steering committee for the Mark Group in the Society of Biblical Literature. One of the things we're going to do this November of 2008, at our national meeting in Boston, we are going to have a review of a new commentary by Adela Collins on the Gospel of Mark. I'm working on a commentary on Mark. There are all kinds of com- why do they keep coming out? Different matrixing, different significances drawn. Some people, when they write the commentaries on the Gospel of Mark, are basically doing level three work. They're trying to figure out the Mark and community and so on like that. Other people aren't doing that. They're basically operating on level one, just dealing with the grammar. Other people are working on level two, theological significance of the activities. Some are trying to do all three. Some are doing the same thing, except they draw different conclusions. I mean, that's why you keep having commentaries. Because this thing is a kind of a, a, a giant moving target in that sense. Go ahead. Because women operate on a level three. Well, it's their, it's their inclination. Inclination. Just out of curiosity, commentaries or sermons that are written by women theologians, are they
2: operating on a level three aspect more than those that are written by no, men?
0: I, I don't think. I, I don't think so. No. I, I I I just don't think that's right. I, I've heard enough, I think, to uh, to know that. And there's certainly there are certainly plenty of things. Everything related to the historical critical method is essentially on level three. Okay. Um, in fact, let's maybe end there uh, with uh, Knippa. Uh, you were asking about. A little clarity on isogogics and form criticism and so on. Well, isogogics is essentially a level three operation on a text where you're trying to figure out the historical circumstances surrounding the production of the book. All right? I mean, so in other words, Michael, this would be an isogogical statement. Matthew and Matthew's community. Um, were well acquainted with the old testament scriptures because he quotes about fulfillment a lot. See that that that's the kind of thing people do in isagogics. Okay? Now form criticism is related to redaction criticism and you will get these in EN 105 Synoptic Gospels. Uh, do you guys take that next quarter? Yeah, well, um, in spring, uh, I'm sorry, this is spring, and next spring, I'm going to be teaching that, and I think we're going to try to do the same kind of recording thing with that, and, and we'll talk about that more in that class. But just to give you an idea, with form criticism, formgeschichte Geschichte is actually the term in, in uh, German, And it means the history of forms. That's very important because um, Geschichte is the story of, the history of form. Form criticism is a bad term in that sense. Now the idea here is this. That in the oral period of the production, before the production of the Gospels, stories of Jesus circulated in set forms. Now, what do we mean by set forms? Well, you all know this. Fairy tales, don't they start once upon a time in a land far away? See, there's a definite form for that. The thought is, whether right or wrong, the thought is that. Stories about Jesus, teachings about Jesus, achieved sort of standardized forms, Michael. Just like you would say a fairy tale, once upon a time in a land far away, something like that. And um, these forms then would have circulated independently in an oral tradition. And as they circulated, and here's the key point. They would have circulated in a setting in life. And this German term is Sitz im Leben, a situation in life. Leben means life. Like, as an example, Michael, fairy tales are told at bedtime. Okay? So, these scholars say that they have detected various forms. Like, for example, there would be sayings of Jesus, um, such as, uh, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. These would occur in kind of stories in which there's an interchange between people. But then there are miracle stories, all right? Then there are other stories, you know, like the man with the withered hand. Then there are other things like, oh, just stories about Jesus as a person like Jesus in the temple when he's 12 years old, kind of uh, legendary stories and so forth. Now, what they then say, and Michael, this is the important point what I'm getting to right here. These stories, so you could have, let's say, sermon illustration kind of stories, maybe like a parable or some kind of a saying. Those would be done in sermons. You'd have other kinds of stories like Jesus in the temple at 12 years old that might have been shared with people as they sat around the campfire or something like that. And then you would have other stories. That might have been used in catechesis. Now, here's where the final shoe drops. The idea of Formgeschichte is the Geschichte part, the history of the use of the forms. So, Formgeschichte is not principally about what form it took, although that's the basis, but in what context, situation in life. Was it used? Such as you'd have something that would have been used as a sermon illustration. You have something that could have been used in catechesis. Here's the last shoe. If you can figure out the context in which these forms were used, and by context I mean sociological everyday context, like a fairy tale at bedtime or sermon. You should be able to reconstruct the life of the early church. So, you should be able to see that the early church had sermons and they had catechetical times and they had times when they sat around, had a beer, and told stories. See? So, in other words, what happens with Formgeschichte is you look at the story, you see what kind of form it has. From the form, you make an implication as to the context in which it would have circulated and so what you do is you then draw up a picture of the community which would have had those kind of zitsen in labor this is a giant level 3 on steroids that's why i put it in this chapter see what you're doing is you're taking the form extrapolating to the production of the form. See, what does it tell you about the producer of the form? And then working on that. You're not talking about Jesus' life at all or about the theological significance at all. And then simply redaction criticism, which was the other one I mentioned. When these forms that circulated independently are taken together and stitched together in a gospel in writing, By Matthew, Mark, and Luke, let's say. Well, when I see how he put them together, what does that tell me about him as an author? What were his interests? What kind of problems was he confronting? So, my assembling, how I assembled the constituent parts. Will tell me about tell people about me, how Mark assembled the constituent parts. Tells you to about Mark and his community. So, so, <clears throat> in other words, Michael, <coughs> form Geschichte is concerned about the oral period and the situation in life in which the oral forms were used. Redaction Redaction criticism is concerned about the editorial work of the writers and what what the the way they edited what it tells you about them. So, in other words, redaction criticism builds on form criticism. All right, all right, great. Listen, uh, we'll draw this to a uh, a close then, and uh, for next time we'll go on to chapter seven, and that's for tomorrow. Thank you very much.